well, let's jump into this. So we're continuing lesson, I think it's 10. Yeah, talking about the lake of fire. And man, last time we were together two weeks ago, we covered a big chunk of this. So we really did. yeah, we're picking up on page like 134, top of 134. And there's just a little bit to go through, but I think we should have some good stuff. Um, I don't think I do actually. Actually, yeah, there's one right next to that Sarah's book. You can use that one. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Page 134. So, <clears throat> anybody here got a chance to finish the chapter and make any notes? Have any interesting observations from it? So, yeah, we'll just kind of read down through as we go. So, um, if we just kind of pick up where we left off last week, or two weeks ago, rather, when we got together, um, he kind of ended it with talking about the wages of sin, meaning the reward or the consequences of sin is death. Death is the cessation of life, and it cannot be eternal life in hell or any other place. So we, we, he kind of really made the case for that biblically um, as we went through. So we'll pick it up here. Um, Mark chapter 9, verse 43. Can someone read that for us? If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into a life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. What do you think of that? I have no idea. That would take me like a couple days to dissect that. Well, yeah, I mean, you're just pulling one verse out, right? But if you understand everything contextually and then you put it into the lens of what kind of person do you view God as, you know, it can help with that. So the author of the study here goes in to say one of the verses where hell is translated from the Greek Gehenna. Remember two weeks ago we talked about Gehenna and what Gehenna was? Mm -hmm. What's this, what Essentially, what's Gehenna? Hell. No. no Gehenna was a place oh. outside of Jerusalem. Oh, sorry. It's a trash dump, wasn't it? Trash dump. That's right. That's where they took the trash, where they threw dead bodies, dead it's animals. Just a refuge. Just, yeah, refuse. Yeah, refuse. Yeah. Oh, so not yeah. hell, but like hell. Just a place to cast away the trash. Yep, and they would burn it, and it's just a nasty. You know, I guess you could maybe say it's like our day, modern day landfills or something like that. So we got this idea of Jesus talking about. He's using the word hell here, but in the Greek it's Gehenna, which basically means the trash place, right? Where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So the author says here, not the body that is thrown into it. Just like those bodies of dead animals and criminals thrown into the trash dump at Gehenna, the bodies of the wicked will be consumed by worms, and what the worms don't eat, the fire will consume with nothing being left. Um, you all ready for lunch? Have lunch after that image. <laughs> yeah, I'm saying just this nasty, like desecrated, <laughs> rotting pile of stuff. Imagine what that would smell like. So the author here says, you know, Jesus might have 
you know, Isaiah 66 in mind, and they shall go forth and look upon the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me, for their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. They shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. Um, again, like, what we're learning about is how the Bible is teaching this, this concept, this idea that, like, hell isn't a place of eternal burning. There's not living people being tormented forever in fire. You know, we're trying to connect all of those pieces together. Um, pretty obvious here, this next paragraph, you know, it talks about the corpses of the men who have sinned. The fire and worms are devouring dead bodies, not burning living people to death. Um, he's really driving that home. Or maybe I'm driving that home. But it's really important, right? I think it's very important. There's, you know, people's belief in hell is very unhealthy. Very unhealthy. And it, right at the very end of this lesson, he really brings that out. And, like, it's really cool. Wait till we get there. He brings, like, some historical documents into it. and It's really cool. It's really cool. Um, there at the bottom of 134, this is kind of interesting, um, the last paragraph, the word used for the fate of the wicked is destroy. The expression soul and body imply the entire being. You guys remember when we did lesson seven that talked about the wages of sin? Like we learned about what the soul is, like body plus breath equals soul or living being. We kind of talked through that whole thing. So if you you remove the breath or you remove the body then you don't have a soul like a soul can't exist without those two um and so we we kind of cover that pretty good in, in lesson seven so these texts aren't speaking of the sleep of death which is what all of us will experience one day except for those who are still alive when jesus comes but the second death the wages of sin death So, let's jump to 135, and let's read the first verse there at the top, Matthew 25, 46, and let's have a discussion about that. Who wants to take that? Lola, you want to do that? I can read the chapter. Chapter. I don't have the, I don't have the book. Oh, I understand. Uh, yeah, sorry, 135. Page, uh, go ahead, Seth, you read again. You be our resident reader. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, check out his, his uh, sort of explanation of that, because a lot of people take this verse as evidence that you are alive and you're being punished forever and ever and ever. And it really, if you come, if you come with the lens that God is pretty severe and angry, then people love this verse because it fits that. Right? So the author talks about we should be careful not to read more into the Bible than it says. The result of the punishment is everlasting, but not the punishing. So I think this is a really... Well, more than once it says through this chapter, saying, I know you're reading it, but don't take it for, it. Don't take it for what it says. That's confusing. Okay. Don't take it for what it says. Okay, then why is it here? Right. And that's where a lot of confusion comes up. And... Uh, it, it's 
Yeah, part of me says, that doesn't make any sense then. You know, don't, I read it, but don't take it for what it says. And that's, that, that, I think that's, that was my biggest struggle reading this. Mm. Is that more than once it says that in this chapter. So, and I know it says in here, well, the Bible says, well, don't say the Bible says until you know the whole Bible. Right. Okay. So, so when you read something along the lines that they, you know, they'll be tormented day and night forever and ever and ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's got that. Without end. But it does not mean without end. So, I mean, so I think that's, that's where I had a little bit of, um, uh, a little bit of frustration reading this. Mm. In the English language, there's a lot of things that are stated that people could take literally but aren't literal. You know what I mean? It, it's it's not meant to be. It's it's said in a certain way because this is what people understand. And I think that's how the Bible's written. These people brought were brought up with all of these beliefs. You know, that there was this hell, that there was, you know, all these things. They, you know, and they, this is what they understood. And they're just using some of that same words or or imagery for them to get it, Mm. you know? Mm. Uh, I mean, there's, I don't know, in, in our English language now, there's things that, you say, but they're not literal, you know. So, I mean, yeah, there's an example in there in the reading from last night, or I read yeah. last night, right? An example in there talking about forever, yeah, you know, I was stuck in that traffic jam forever. No, you weren't, right? Okay, so yeah, I understand that, but just how many times do we hear in life it says it in the book, it says it, I'll be true. Well, I do believe that those 66 books, and I limit it to those 66 books, not the Book of Maccabees or anything else that would be in the Dewey, but, you know, that everything should be read within context. Um, We wouldn't have 300-plus Christian religions if people would read the book, and I'm talking about the Bible, in context of itself. And so, you, and you, when you're looking at something that's been heavily translated from the original Greek and Hebrew, that you go and you look at the root word, and this is why Gehenna mm-hmm. is very important, because, mm-hmm. yes, they are burning bodies there, they're burning the trash, or whatever they're, you know, going through, but it's also... Um, it's a place where no one is living through the torment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, and it's not, you know, yes, it's a place that you, you hope your house isn't built next to, mm-hmm. but it's a necessary place. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't think hell is going to be a place. I, it, you know, when you read what revelation says about the new creation of the new earth after the lake of fire, it goes out because 
you're not going to create, you're not going to build a house on a smoking trash heap. Yeah, we made the point a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about, earlier in the lesson, we were talking about like a fire that cannot be quenched, um, that can't be put out, you know, things like that. Um, and the the idea was like the fires that are, you know, huge wildfires in Canada are, are so huge they can't put them out, right? So they're, they're left to burn until they burn themselves out until everything's consumed. They can't put them out. They're too big. But that doesn't mean they're going to burn forever. You know what I'm saying? So there's, um, <clears throat> you know, so there's that concept to it. And then here in the middle of page 135, he talks about we, we understand that forever comes from a Greek word that does not always mean without end. Yeah, and that, that's something I was pointing out to. I don't know if it was last week or a while ago that the difference between everlasting and eternal life. Everlasting could literally mean just a long time, but it also could be interpreted forever. But, I mean, you look at the English dictionary. Sure. It just means a long time, whereas eternal life means forever. Right, right. And he makes that same, he makes a distinction between the word punishment and punishing, which I think is interesting, too, because a punishment may have consequences after but it doesn't mean it does like it doesn't guarantee that there are going to be consequences it's punishment and that's that whereas punishing means that there are consequences after that's what it, like it's continuing like it's not it's linear I don't know if that makes sense but right you know a side note for me um, like I I have issue and, and I'm really the author will close the loop on what I'm about to say for the end of this lesson, but the the translation bias that the translators put into place here to use to pick the word punishment because punishment comes from the root word punitive, which is like I'm mad at you, I'm going to get even, mm. right? Whereas like discipline comes from the root word disciple, which means like to teach. Like yeah. there's a benefit for your own good here, so it. If you look at like the connotation between those two terms, punishment is like I'm fed up with you, I'm going to punish you now because it makes me feel better. Discipline is this is actually bad for you, so I'm going to teach you or disciple you in a way that might be uncomfortable, but ultimately it's for your own good. Right? Yeah, it's I to teach I see, you something better. I see what you're saying, but if people are, are going to have their dead bodies burn right. in a thing that's not discipline it's, it's not even not punishment either it's just cleansing of waste at that point yeah right I guess yeah. you can't punish something I mean I can't punish that stool no. it's an inanimate object it's but that was kind of the point I was trying to make earlier is right. that like a punishment doesn't mean that there are necessarily consequences after the punishment and so like if I don't know that kind of thoughts before we kind of keep moving on there so he asks a question here what happens to Satan in the end 
um, like you know, he's he's still kind of making this this case that's like according to other passages. So even though this period of time may be brief, the results may be everlasting, right? So it's kind of what he's talking about. So like that being the case, what happens to Satan in the end? Um, he asked the question: Is Satan immortal? Now, myself personally, I've not spoken with anybody who believes Satan is immortal. However. People who hold the view that hell is eternal burning, then with that, Satan is also immortal. Because Satan is there, right? Well, wouldn't he have to be? Because how would he still be alive if he was created at the beginning of time or, or near that time period and he's still living? Clearly, there's still deception and crazy things going on in the world that were caused by him, so he's clearly still alive. Mm -hmm. So, doesn't that make him that? Does it make him immortal? He doesn't have access to the Tree of Life. No, but I mean, that can be taken away from him as well, as part of his punishment, or his, mm -hmm. I don't know, not punishment, whatever, as a result the of whatever. Right. It's, the you know what I mean? Choice, right. I think immortal is like one of those words that you can't really define because mm -hmm. we don't really understand like the you know what goes into that. It's kind of like trying right. to define the word divine. Like we have a definition for that, but we don't really know what that is. Right. You know what I'm trying to say. Um, well, the author here pulls out Ezekiel, Ezekiel twenty-eight thirteen through nineteen, and he lists it in the King James version. And we're not going to read the whole thing. Um, it's pretty long, but it is a description. A prophetic description of Lucifer, like pre-sin, when he dwelt in the presence of God, a description of who he was, what he looked like, his role, and then how iniquity was brought up in him, and how his heart was then changed, and how he was cast to earth, and then later on, toward the end of the passage, the Bible says that thou hast defiled the sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic, Therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee, it shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth, in the sight of all them that behold thee. All thee that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee, thou shalt be a terror, and never shalt thou be any more. Right? So, the author brings this out, a couple questions. In the end, Satan is devoured by a fire that comes from within himself. Now that is really interesting. So that means what consumes Satan is not an artificially imposed fire upon him. It's nothing that God is doing to him. It's something that happens within Satan himself. How do we make sense of that? Well, the author says next lesson, we're going to talk about that more. Spontaneous combustion is a real thing. It really is. I mean, I've seen pictures of, like, people sitting in a chair, and all of a sudden the chair's burnt, and you see feet. And they just went up in flame. Mm -hmm. And it's just a simple movement of one molecule to another, and, yeah, it's not hard. See, there's enough electricity in the human body that they could figure out how to harness it. It would power the city of Chicago for a week. One person? Yes. Wow. That's well, crazy. Which is why I feel, which is why I feel it's almost like a chemical 
whatever reaction. It's mm -hmm. something that, you yeah. know, God is. Yeah. And those that are not trying to be like God don't have. And that's what, it's just a natural progression of, right. of, of, of whatever elements there are in the, in the atmosphere or whatever. I mean, it sounds crazy, but it's just like, it makes a lot of sense if you think about how we are, how we're, cre how we were created, what we're made up of, you know, places we can't go because there the oxygen isn't good or, or there's lack of oxygen, you know, what we need to survive, you know, the sunlight and the water and the air and, you know, all those things are, they're elements. They're, yeah. they're, and that is designed, yeah, they have by design, right? Properties and they were mm -hmm. definitely designed. Mm -hmm. I interpret that a little bit more metaphorically. I think that he just, he isn't, doesn't have it within himself to change because he's too stubborn and too far in his ways. I don't think it's like he naturally combusts himself or anything like that. I think it's more like he just chooses not to. I got a cop buddy and it's really cool hearing him tell stories of how um, he's on a foot pursuit and he's chasing this dude and this dude is running and trying to get away and trying to get away and then trying to get away and then the, the dude within himself voluntarily gives up. Like, he doesn't get close enough to tase him. He doesn't get close enough to tackle him. You know, like, forcibly or anything like that. The guy just says, okay, fine, I give up. And he lays down. He just completely gives up. I lay down. Mm -hmm. He submits to it and it happens, right? So I look at that verse, you know, a fire from within you. I look at it the same way. You know, Satan is so rebellious. And then at one point, all right, fine, I give up. And when he gives up, he gives up his life. So just as the guy who's running away from the cop has the ability to give up his freedom, right? He's fighting for his own freedom. He's rebelling against the officer. He's trying to run. But then at one point, he voluntarily gives up his freedom within himself. Okay. He realizes there's no place to go. Exactly. And, and I think that's what... Satan in the end will realize exactly there's right. no place to go. No one follows me. No one's going to follow you. That's right. It is what it is. Mm -hmm. I give up. Mm -hmm. So what happened to the third of the angels that followed? What happened or what happens? What happens to the third of the angels that followed him then? Same. In my, in my understanding as we're reading through the millennium, and even when the Bible uses that imagery, it says every knee shall bow and confess the Lord is Jesus, and they all get up. Like it's the same, it's the same process. They all... I'd rather I'd rather not exist than be in a place like that. But then they attack the right. city. Sure. So what happens in battle? Right. People get hurt, and and it's it's going to be a dramatic thing. I I don't see it's all of a sudden they disappear. Right. I think it's going to be quite the thing to view. So battle 136, we're going to do a little bit of review here. To review, in this lesson so far, we've learned um, that fires of hell will fall on the earth at the end of the age. So that's when and where. They will not burn forever and ever. So it's a it's an isolated event with boundaries on both ends, a beginning and an end to it. And we have learned that the second death is not eternal life, but is eternal death, the never-ending cessation of life. Because I think I... 
I love last time when we were together where the author talked about that. Like, people who believe in eternal burning hell, they teach, you know, the gift of God is eternal life, confess Jesus, you'll have eternal life. But they miss that point. Well, if you believe in eternal burning hell, you still have eternal life. So it's like that 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 piece doesn't work. Yeah. I really like yeah. how you brought that up. So it's not eternal life, it's eternal death, which is the never-ending cessation of life. What's another word for cessation? That's a better word, like never-ending existence of life. Cessation. Right? Yeah, cessation is the quit, is the stop, is the cease. So life is no more. Yeah, when we talk about endangered animals like the dodo bird, you know, when the last dodo bird died, it is the cessation of life for the dodo bird species. Mm -hmm. Evermore, evermore to be around. So, after looking at all the preceding evidence, it is, um, it's clear that the wicked will be destroyed forever, totally annihilating the earth. Um, but then this is where I think it's, it's really, really interesting. And Joe, I'm curious to see how, like, if this helps with some of your questions where the author talked about, like, you know, the Bible says this, but, you know, the but aspect to your question there. Many churches have taught the idea that sinners burn eternally in hell forever. Many, 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 many churches teach this. So how did the false teaching of eternal burning hell and all of that get into church doctrine? How did it even get there? Where did it come from? Hmm. And this is really interesting. So in, he gets some reference here. Seth, do you want to read the next two paragraphs there on page 137? Uh, what, what, what this is being Funk and Wagnall's and then the, the one underneath that. All right. In Funk and Wagnall's standard reference encyclopedia by Reader's Digest, under the heading, Hell, we find this false teaching was adopted by the Roman Church back in 533 A.D. The Second Council of Constantinople in 533 A.D., a belief in the eternity of, of the punishments in Hell became characteristic of both the Orthodox and the Roman Churches. It also passed into the creeds of the Churches of the Reformation. Everybody get that? Mm-hmm. In 533, Constantinople, the eternal punishment of hell started with Orthodox and Roman churches. Where did the Reformation come out of? Where did all of Protestant Christianity come out of? You remember that the Roman church was more pagan than Christian. 100%. And in fact, today, when you do talk to a Catholic, they're Catholic. They're not Christian. Right. It's like a Mormon. Yeah, they're not Christian. Yeah, right. They're Mormon. It's not the same. It's not the same. Right. And and so they took a lot of the pagan beliefs, right. a lot of the Germanic old, you know, and and um, also you know they you realize that Sunday's the day of the sun, Monday's the day of the moon, you know, Saturday's day of Saturn. Mm -hmm. That's how they got all these things. So they would worship different gods on these days. Mm -hmm. And they all had backup beliefs. There, and, and if you look in Hinduism, you look at um, even Buddhism and some sects where they believe in, in like 
you'll come in as another animal. Sure. You, oh, yeah, reincarnate. you reincarnate. Yeah, right. You know, and so it, it's it's this everlasting pagan belief that got infused. Well, check out this paragraph here in the middle, and this is really amazing. This is all a matter of church history. During the Dark Ages, an age of superstition and ignorance, and a time when the Roman Church began experiencing poor attendance and lack of financial support, it began to further develop the horrors of purgatory and the fires of hell, so that people would fear God and the church. This was done as a way to gain power and control over the people in hopes that it would result in better church attendance and more offerings. There you go again, the fear factor. You know, God is love. God is not fear. You know, he has that power, obviously. He, he could use that power. But then, are we going willingly, or are we being forced to? Because we believe our lives depend on it. And then here's where it gets really good, Lola, to your point. The King James Version, the world's most renowned Bible, was translated during this time and completed in 1611. So check this out. It is only natural that its translators would be influenced by those fearful doctrines, which is reflected in their translation of certain texts which in turn has had a great impact on the teachings of Christianity down to this present day. That's church history. That is, that is irrefutable evidence across the board. Have you ever seen the Holy Spirit work? I mean, like, really take something that you thought was going to be something else and then have him do his thing and have it work out better than you ever thought it could ever work out? Hmm. All right, you know, just think about whatever that might be. Why is it outside the Holy Spirit's realm to be able to produce accurately what God has been trying to get through to us and written in the Word of the Bible? <coughs> I'm not sure I'm following your question just yet. I don't think a lot of humans had a lot to do I mean, I, I think the humans wrote the word, but it was with the divine aspect of the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. working through them. Mm -hmm. Why would that process change when they're translating it? Hmm. So your so your question is, when God inspired the prophets of old to write, like Moses and mm -hmm. John and those people to write the original text in Hebrew and mm -hmm. Greek, then why did that process change when they were translating it? Yeah, why couldn't the Holy Spirit be just as involved then? Because you would think he would have an invested um, reason hmm. to stay involved with it. Right. And I'm, I'm yeah. one that absolutely believes that that word is the word of God. Sure. I don't believe it's just man's, the failure of man. This is where I have an issue with maybe this author, mm -hmm. is because I don't, the only book that's ever been persecuted is the Bible, mm -hmm. and it almost got put out of existence. Right, yeah, back during the Dark Ages time. Why did God save it? Well, and here in, in okay, I, I see what you're saying, and I get what you're saying, but there's also this. I feel like every time I read that Bible, and it can be the same chapter as I've read before, I've gained another understanding. Okay, so at its surface, it's one way. Mm -hmm. Okay, but then I feel like when I'm reading again and I'm studying and I'm praying, 
the Holy Spirit is also talking to me mm-hmm. and, and telling me, mm-hmm. uh, giving me understanding that I didn't see had I not read it again. So, you know, you have a point. It was written in a certain way, but it was also, I think, for the understanding of, of, of people, maybe in that time period, you know what I mean? And there's been several translations now that are more for our time period but you know I just feel like it's it's something that is truly living because you've got to really get into it in order for it to kind of express itself or or show itself to you well I saw a study where the not all Bibles are the same some come from the Roman text Right. That from the Library of Alexandria, a lot of mysticism mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. involved, like sure. the NIV and things like that. They're not, they come from the Dewey Rhymes. They're not a literal translation like the King James. Right. And so you can have but different things. Let's just said. say that the King James has some of the issues that we're talking about. And that what the author just wrote. So to, to your original point, Mark, and also you Joe I think yes the Holy Spirit and here's my here's my view on this um, and what I think the very last page of this book he even brings it out that love cannot be forced manipulated or compelled love requires freedom so when the Holy Spirit influences men to write text he doesn't give them the words to to write he leaves them free to choose the words and he guides their their minds right now you could take in my mind, this is how I view this. You come to the Dark Ages when almost all the Bibles are destroyed, and they take the original text of Hebrew and Greek and they translate it into Latin, which is a language that the common folk can't read. So they made the Bible inaccessible to most everybody, except for a very small group of people who could speak Latin, which happened to be the enforcers of the church. Mm-hmm. Okay, so. When uh, Martin Luther and Tyndale and a couple others and Wycliffe, they said, you know what, we finally got our hands on a Latin Bible. Let's translate this into the common language so everybody could read this. Okay? They were Roman lawyers. Didn't they translate it into German? Yeah, right. But they were Roman lawyers from the church. So it was through that lens. Now, did the Holy Spirit guide their translations? I believe 100%. But love requires freedom, which means... What would it say about God if he turned them into robots so they only wrote the words that God wanted them to write? That's not a loving God. God wouldn't do that. He still gave them the freedom to choose the words that they felt would be best to get the message out, even though it may still have elements of a legal God, an angry God, you know, elements of some pagan stuff in there, like all of that, right? And so then as you as you go down through the reformations and you get into the 1800s you get enough truth has now been relearned from the dark ages that you get like you know the big protestant movement in the 1800s the adventist church is born you get ellen white that, that whole thing took place because of that and now you start like more and more translations of the bible are coming out as more and more truth is being revealed but through that entire process god's spirit is working to reveal truth however People are not robots. He's still respecting the freedom of someone to choose this word over this word. 
So in my mind, 100% Mark, the Holy Spirit has been active the whole way through, but he's not working with robots. That's not what he wants, right? But this is why it's very important that before anyone ever reads any scripture in a meaningful way, you really should pray that the Holy Spirit guides you through it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Or you'll read the wrong thing. 100%. So one thing that I was kind of poo-pooed on here about a year or two ago, I had mentioned this, I heard a concept that when you're reading the Bible and you, you're, you're having a struggle understanding a passage, that the Holy Spirit speaks through you to under, help you understand it. And I was kind of, I forget who it was, it really doesn't matter, but there was disagreement with me when I said that. And I just thought that was an interesting concept. So mm. you guys are kind of repeating the same thing. That when you read it, you have a struggle, you pray, and you just kind of, and the Holy Spirit will help help you learn what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. But I was kind of poo pooed on that one time when I mentioned that around right here. So yeah, really? Yeah. Oh, sorry, Jeff. No, no, it's just so I'm, I'm. It's just uh, but you know, and also too, but but with all the different versions that are coming out more and more and more, you know, what do people want to hear? What do people want to read? And anything can be changed, and it's a that's why this is going to be a conversation for eternity, I think, on what Bible is right, what Bible's wrong, who did it right, who did it wrong, and we can look at some blatant, you know, I don't speak Greek, I don't speak Lat, uh, uh, um, Hebrew, I don't speak Aramaic, so I, I, I got to trust oh, what I'm reading. For instance, the Dewey Rhymes, you go to Exodus 20, and you go and you look, and they took out the entire Second Commandment. They took out the in, 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 in the Catholic Dewey rhymes. Yeah. They took out, you know, that should not make it to the any graven images of any likenesses of any anything mm-hmm. in the heaven above the earth beneath or the waters under the earth. That's all you do is pray to a graven image, an idol. And, and so, and then it's one of those things where, and they split this. They split the tenth commandment into, "Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house," and then "Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife." So to tie that back in, then to where they're talking about how those pagan and false teachings is where our Bible translations came out of and then apply that to where the lesson is now, you know, making this point of saying like, how do we discern these texts and understand the Bible says God is love, like period. God is love, period. So when we, if, if we read a text that makes God sound like anything other than love, well, it doesn't change the fact that God's still love. It's our understanding. We can't figure out how this works yet, right? There's a problem with us. The problem isn't with God, right? Well, you know, it, a lot of people think love is just a just happy-go-lucky, lenient, happy, you know, just jovial individual that will not take the time. You know, think about it as a parent. Right. There's times when, you know, Bo needs to be chastised because he's wrong. I mean... It, you know, it's just what it is. But as if you're loving father, he's going to correct you, right. you know, because you, you don't want to make the same mistake over and over again. Right. Well, God corrects us too. 100%. And, um, and it, it's, it's sometimes harsh, mm-hmm. but it's not without love. Right. Right. And I, and I agree with that. I absolutely agree with that. Yeah. Um, to, to wrap up this lesson, though, when we're talking about, you know, eternal death and hell and all of these things and where the teaching came out of, 
there are, you know, understanding that the source of purgatory and eternal burning hell was a way to influence and, and gain people to, um, like, give money to and, and, and grow attendance in the church out of fear. How many people today go to church and say they love you, Lord, and they accept Jesus as their Savior? But it, it's not out of heartfelt a free choice. It's out of fear that they will get thrown into hell or out of fear that something bad will happen to them or it's out of fear that God will hurt them or, or, or God will punish them or something like that, you know? Um, most of Christianity, I think, teach that. Yeah, or they're just doing it because their family does it. They don't know right from wrong. Right. Don't know Top paragraph 138, the teaching that God will forever torture in the fires of hell those who do not do as he wishes or who would reject Christ has actually turned thousands of people away from God and the church. They want nothing to do with a God who would do that. Fear will not promote love and respect. I have personal friends who have said, like, nah, I don't want to do with church. They used to go to church, and then pastor started talking about hell, and you do this to avoid hell, and they, they were thinking people, and they're like, well, if that's really what God's all about and all that hell stuff I'm not gonna give my devotions to a person like that because it's fear based they're not gonna go there you guys ever hear the quote he who is persuaded against his will is of the same opinion still did you ever hear that quote mm -hmm. he was convinced against his will is of the same opinion still and fear will do that Fear will, will coerce you. Fear will manipulate you. Fear will compel you to make a decision. But on the other hand, I kind of I disagree with the thought that people also have in this world is I have a God of my understanding. Mm. Say more about that. You know, if I have a God of my understanding, that God's going to want me to do whatever I think is good for me mm -hmm. regardless of what that behavior or thought process might be so as long as I have this God of my understanding I'm good so so, the, so then so does that negate the fact that you need to Again, accountability, and that, I think that's something I've mentioned a million times with you in conversations mm -hmm. over the years. Mm -hmm. And that's a struggle I have when I hear people have it, then who or what, or are you accountable to anything then? Then if you are accountable, how are you, how are you to be held accountable for any, anything? But if I have a God of my understanding, I could do it because he understands why I'm doing this, this, or that. Or going to say this, this, or that, sure. or think this, this, or that. Sure, it's a partial truth. I'm not sure who raised their hand first, Lola or Mark. Lola. You both were like <laughs> pointing at each other. Um, I don't know. When I hear the God of my understanding, I also hear in my head, God is a personal God, and this is a very true thing. His, His relationship 
with me is different than his relationship with Mark because it's what you put into it and what you and who you are and you know what I mean there, there are certain things he can tell me and I'll do automatically where someone else they got to think it through or, or whatever or, or vice versa whatever it is you know what I'm saying and it's it's because we're different we're not the same we're not robots it is a personal God there is I see what you're saying. You're saying it's more like I can do whatever I want. Are we to be monotheistic or not? <coughs> well, it it is one God. It's just our relationship with Him. Uh, that is I different. understand. I can understand that concept one hundred percent. I understand because just like a parent is going to have a different relationship, your parents are going to have a relationship with you one way, and they're going to have a completely different relationship with Carter in a different way, depending because we're all different beings different human beings. Mm -hmm. But I have the God of my understanding. So let's, God is multifaceted. If I, can, if I can just jump in here, tie all of this back, mm -hmm. and, and Joe, tie this back into the end of the lesson here where, where he's making this case that, you know, the, the teaching of eternal burning hell and eternal death, you know, produces fear in people. And God is not that. When I hear people say that, that phrase that lets me know they know nothing about God. They don't, they've not studied, they've not learned, they decided that I'm going to put God in a box. They don't read their Bible. They probably, you know, and it's, it's one of those things where, unfortunately, God is a loving God, a caring God, but we are to attune our lives to him not he fit in our box you know we don't have a genie in a bottle mm -hmm. right that god is not a genie in a bottle and so it's 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 again a pagan belief of god that you know what's your view of god yeah well the final comment and then we'll close it up okay so so I don't necessarily agree with you on that because I've known people who have had that thought, you know, this is God of my understanding, you know, this, this, this statement that they've made, who've had God work miracles in their lives because they were so bad off, they didn't know they needed God and were shown how much they needed God in such a way that scared, scared them. You know what I mean? Like scared them, like scared the life out of them. I can't who's, say other things. The but you know, the Bible where the donkey started talking? Yes, that right? sort of thing. Yeah. That sort of thing where they saw the evil that was in their life and then they saw God their savior. Right. And it's beautiful. I think it's a different understanding, for sure, but I, I can't generalize it like that, because I feel like some people, you just have to, like, they got to be put in the fire, and they have to see it all, and this is just how they are, how they're going to get it, and then, you know what, they come out being the biggest soldiers for Christ. Different, all right, same words, different meaning. Um, this is my understanding of God. God is of my understanding. God meets you where you're at. 
But you you flip that sentence around, it means two different things. Well, to tie it all in and then we'll close up the conversation is that we can all agree that, and the Bible is consistent in this, that God is love. And true love doesn't force, it doesn't manipulate, it doesn't compel, it's not fear-based. 1 John 4, 18 and 19, there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. Fear causes a lot of problems. So in context of this whole discussion about hell and eternal death or eternal life, if it's a fear-based teaching that produces fear to get you to make a choice, it is not of God because that isn't God. The Bible is consistent in that teaching. And wherever, wherever you fall and where we all fall on our own journey of our own understanding, how we understand, how we're inter, in, interacting with, how we're experiencing God, how we're learning, truth is infinite. We are on an infinite journey to grow and learn and understand. God is love, which means love meets us where we're at and guides us along the way. And that's consistent. So next week, we're going to learn about the cross of Christ. Because a lot of people believe that Jesus Christ died the death of a sinner. Or died in the sinner's place, right? So if that's true, we can spend a lot of time focusing on and say, okay, how do sinners die? What happens? And we can learn a lot about that when we look at the cross. So... That's what we're going to do next week. We're going to pick it up, Lesson 11, The Cross of Christ, and uh, come for some more good questions and some more conversations. So let's pray. God, thank you so much for um, the passion and the desire and the questions that all of us have. Thank you that that you're not the kind of person who shuns and rejects and is against wrestling with ideas. There are there are examples all over the place through the Bible, you know, both in you just saying words and also like stories that reveal this truth that you welcome people's like questions and difficult um I don't know, statements or just like confronting things and just this doesn't make sense. How do I understand this? And I praise you that you're not worried about any of that. Because it says, also clearly says that, you know, you're the spirit of truth. You lead us. You teach us. You convict us. You guide us. And so as we, you know, spend time reasoning through these things, it would help us to really understand that, um, to reason together is is actively participating with you as you're teaching us and leading us. Because what you don't want from us is just blind obedience. You don't want us to just follow it simply just because that's what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to ask questions. Like, that's not you. You welcome questions. And so, as we have another conversation over lunch, continue to guide our continue to guide us. May your spirit always never cease and always continue to, to teach us as we grow. In your name we pray. Amen.